the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, episode 515, for Monday, August 18th, 2014. Good folks, and Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Yes, episode 515, palindromic as it is and with a rock and roll reference. We are the show that uh, you ask questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found. We share your questions, we answer your questions, we ask questions of one another, we share your tips. Occasionally we do a show where we share a bunch of cool stuff found, although that's not happening today. Uh, everything we talk about, we try to make pretty cool. And uh, the goal is for everybody to learn at least three new things in every show. And that includes me and my esteemed co-host. Sponsor for this show today is Barebones Software with BB Edit. You can find out about that at barebones.com. And we'll talk a little bit more about that during the show today. Also, Linda at lynda.com slash MGG gets you seven days uh, a free trial of their excellent training videos and materials. So we'll talk a little bit more about that during the show. And lastly, I do have a correction from Gazelle that we'll talk about again, but uh, I had said that uh, Gazelle was extending last week's sponsor mentioned. I said that Gazelle was extending their uh, period out for two months. And that is true. As of today, uh, I was a week ahead with that news. So, uh, so I just wanted to make sure we got that correction. And here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton here. In uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. That's right. So, did you like that Who reference in the uh, in the intro there, John? I'm not really into Who. Really? I thought you were a Who guy. All right. Well, no, no, I, I don't. I don't. I'll have to look at my music library. I don't. Yeah, I never, never really gotten into the Who. Okay. All right. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't let uh, show five fifteen go without a little a little reference there. So, um. Where, where do we go from here? You know what? Let's just dive into the questions. Let's just do this. Uh, okay. So this question is a, a very self-serving uh, question from, from our standpoint, because uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read Michael's thing here, I think. And then we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about this. Uh, Michael says, I've been enjoying your show for several years now over the past several months, both. Uh, well, he, was, he sent this into MacCast as well. Adam Christensen's MacCast. So he said over the past several months, both of your shows uh, have covered the SSD topic. Uh, I finally took the plunge. And firstly, I want to say thank you uh, to all of you. My mid 2010, 17 inch MacBook pro uh, now has an SSD and your coverage of this topic made it easy. He says, I purchased a Mercury Electra 450 gig SSD and data doubler from OWC. The SSD is a bit overkill for my system, but hopefully the drive will find new life in a NAS someday down the line. Unfortunately, however, in my haste to finally make the purchase, I neglected to think of what I was going to do with that optical drive. I would be removing. Uh, he goes through and essentially asks uh, how to lay out the, if he has more data than will fit on the SSD in his current boot drive, which I know a lot of us do, uh, you might be going from, say, a 500 gig drive down to a 250 or a one terabyte drive down to a, two, a 250 or, a, you know, a, a 500. Uh, the question was, how do you lay out um, 
the data on this drive. And he started talking about keeping his home directory somewhere else. Uh, my feeling on this is that's actually a really bad idea. And, and here's why the SSD is great for two things. One is data transfer speed. Uh, it's almost always going to be faster than a rotational drive, sometimes many, many times faster, often many times faster, but where it's even faster uh, than that in by, by comparison is in its ability to uh, seek out and read and write small files uh, because there's no, well, there's no noticeable seek time. You can, you can measure it, but it's, it's much, much, much smaller orders of magnitude, smaller uh, seek time than a, a rotational drive. So to find a file before you can start reading it uh, is an operation that happens almost instantaneously on an SSD. Whereas with a rotational drive, it can take quite some time. Your home directory contains all your tiny little documents. It also contains your library folder, which has all your preference files. And in your library folder is mail and mail has one separate file for every email message and then some. So moving your home directory somewhere else is really one of those things that, I mean, I think you're, you're going to miss out on a lot of the benefit of the SSD, but moving your music your iTunes library, specifically your iPhoto library, those things off to another drive, especially your music library. You're going to notice almost no difference having that on the SSD because it's, it's, you know, the files aren't, um, you're not, you're not jumping from file to file all the time. You're just playing music. And so uh, iTunes is pretty good about that. iPhoto certainly would benefit from being on the SSD, but not so much so that you're going to hate yourself for moving that off. Uh, your iMovie movies and all that stuff. Same thing, you know, if you don't have room, but I, I think keeping your home directory in one place, it, that, that's always been my feeling on it. But John, one thing we didn't mention last week, because we were so steeped in IPv6 is the fact that you put uh, an SSD into, I think your Mac mini as its boot disk. Is that right? Correct. And yeah, I received so how, yeah, the mail. Yeah, uh, which which just, drive? Just, well, remind me. I know it, it came through me, and I'm pretty sure I know which model drive it was. Um, it was a review unit sent to us, and it was. Remind me again. Was that the OCZ one? Right. Yes. So okay. OCZ. Yep. And it's a 240 gig. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Which is. Well, I'm just going to tell my story. Yeah. So go. that's a lot smaller than the drive I had in there before. So what I had in there before was a one terabyte, I think it was a Toshiba. Um, pretty sure it's a Toshiba that I got from uh, OWC. And, you know, the price was was great. I think it was like less than a hundred bucks. Okay. You know, for a terabyte. Yeah. I wasn't using all of it. But uh, so here's, here's what happened though, is that the 240 had forced me to make a decision because on my old rotational drive, I had probably about uh, a little over 300 gigs of data. Okay. Okay. Now, first I thought, well, you know, there is that whole trick of moving your home directory. So I'm like, you know, maybe I should just, you know, install the, the you know, do the carbon copy cloner thing and then, uh, you know, put the home directory on an external drive. The more I thought about it and I talked to you about it and I'm like, you know, that sounds like a really bad idea for the reasons that you mentioned. Sure. You, you, you don't get a lot of benefits. So then yeah, I mean, you get some, B. you'll be booting from the, the SSD and, and that in and of itself right. is, is actually worth it. But 
you know, and, 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 and the things that I didn't even mention, like Dropbox and all that stuff, all that sort of scouring that those things do happens so much faster on an SSD. So, yeah. well, on the points you brought up. So the thing is, so if you're looking for system performance, the thing is, you know, some of your system files, like, as you know, the, the library folder, you know, all of that system level stuff there, you lose that benefit if you put that on the external rotational. Yeah, it could certainly do it. Now, people may be asking themselves, how could I tell my system where the home directory is? And I'll just do this quickly and then, sure. and then I'll move on to my sure. strategy here. Yeah, yeah. So if you go in users and groups. In system preferences. In system preferences. And now I got to authenticate. Which is good. Keeps you from making and then silly I errors. Click on, and then you're going to see list of users here. So, of course, my primary user is, is me as an admin. And here's what you do. You right-click on the user, or control-click, and you'll get something saying advanced options. And there's a number of things there. There's a user ID. Don't touch that. There's a group. Don't touch that. Account name. Don't, don't touch any of this. Now, what you may want to touch, now, login shell. And actually, I changed that recently. I think mine was TCSH, so I changed it to Bash, because sure. Bash is the proper shell to be using. And then the next entry in that is slash is your home directory, and you can choose a different one. If you like to. So if you want to do this, that's where you would do it. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought it's, a, it's kind of a bad idea. And, and even in that advanced options dialogue, it says in red, warning, changing these settings might damage the account and prevent the user from logging in. Yeah. It's in red letters, red capital letters. <laughs> now you shouldn't, if you're going to do this, you should log in as a separate user, right? And move, because doing this doesn't actually move your home directory. It just tells the system where you want it to look for your home directory. So you, you probably should be logged out and then uh, copy your home directory to another location and then point it, right? I, I mean, I think that's the... I, I think that's the, the, the proper way to do this, right? Oh, that, um, you know, I have, haven't actually done it in a while, but yeah, that sounds reasonable to me. Right. right. You can change it while it's live. And then when you reboot, it'll yeah. be looking at the, the, but I didn't want to go there. Right. Good there my backup for good strategy. reason. Yeah. All right. So my tool of choice to do my migration, I used my pal, our pal, Dave, well, at least it's my pal. I think you have a different pal. But my pal is Carbon Copy Cloner. Just love it to death. And so I basically did a full, well, no, step one, I had to decide. So, so the thing is, I, I tried to copy. So I think what it is, is I tried to do a Carbon Copy Cloner from the one terabyte while it was still in the machine to the SSD in an external enclosure, a USB 2 enclosure. Okay. Machinely is USB 2. Sure. And then Carbon Copy Cloner said, uh, yeah, you know, there's not enough space to do this. And I'm like, oh, man. So now what? Well, let's find the things that take the most space. And you know the things that took the most space, or at least the, the, the ones that I felt comfortable moving off of this drive um, and putting on the eventual external drive? Uh, two things. One, and I've done this already, but I, I you know, kind of made it permanent, was my music library. My music library is about, is about 30 gigs. So that was one thing to reduce the size. And then the two other largest things that I have, Dave were um, uh, two of my virtual machine uh, files for um, Parallels. I have an XP1 oh, yeah, and a totally. one, yeah. and they're both 40 gigs. So 40 plus 40 plus 30. So I had 110 gigs of data that if I could put it somewhere else, that would get me below the two. The, that would reduce the amount of space taken on 
the drive and allow Carbon Copy Cloner to happily go on its way. And so that's what I did. So I basically moved all of those to my uh, my NAS. That's awesome. The music library I had already done because I'm doing the DLNA thing sure. and stuff like that. But sure. I also moved the... the uh, I don't know if I put them on an external... No, I think I put them in the NAS as well. Because why okay. not? You can do that. Yeah, that's totally. perfectly valid. Yep. Um, so I did that. And then also... Um, Carbon Copy Cloner has a facility that allows you to, it allows, it creates and transfers the uh, recovery partition because you want to do that. Right. But you know, it's an all in one tool. So it did all that. And, uh, you know, it's really pretty straightforward. It, it took time. I think it maybe took an hour or so. I don't sure. Because on my system, I have two bottlenecks. So one is I'm only on USB 2. Number two, this Mac Mini only has a SATA 2 interface, whereas the drive that was provided has a SATA 3 interface. So that's, but I don't. Well, actually, that drive might go faster than a SATA two bus. I'm pretty sure it's a SATA three drive. Well, no, but, I know, you know it's, it's a SATA, SATA three SATA. drive. The question is, does the drive actually go faster? And I think that's the Vector one hundred and fifty from OCZ, um, which is is rated at at five hundred plus megabytes a second, five fifty read and and five thirty write. So yeah, yeah, that would that would uh, that would be faster than than your bus would allow. Did you test the drive with the like black magic or anything? Um, I tested it with, let me bring it up here. So I tested it with drive genius. They have a oh. feature called drive bench, which oh, is a okay. swell utility. And, and what it does, and I like it because what it does is it does four different tests. So it does a sequential read and a sequential, write, Which in, you know, especially with rotational drive, you're going to get the best performance. Then they do a random, um, read and random write test and they do it with different block sizes so you okay get a yep. pretty good feel yep and basically the maximum speeds i saw um we're approaching the maximum speed of the bus which i think mm. is you know about two uh 270 200 250 megabytes a second okay I'm looking at one of the yeah one of the screens here and it was it was approaching about uh, yeah. you know 250 mega megabytes a second yeah that's killer. Faster than the other drive I had. I mean, yeah. The other drive was fast for a rotational. Sure. It was getting, in some cases, you know, a you know, high hundred megabytes per yeah. second. In some cases. But, you know, of course, as you know, was pointed out, the, the difference here with the different block sizes is, is much less dramatic than with a rotational drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and these drives are cheap. So no, I, I think that 240, I, I think that, I mean, these drives are, you know, selling for 50 cents a gig now, right? That 240 sells for like 120, I, I think, from... Uh, yeah. From Vector and or from sorry from OCZ and and maybe even from Amazon I haven't looked but yeah I mean it's you know so you can get the 480 from them for 220 bucks that's cheap yeah well the next uh, the next machine I get because yeah right now my bottleneck so the MacBook Pro has a SATA one bus right and the Mac and, and the Mac Mini here has a SATA two bus so of course the next machine I get should have a SATA three bus and it'll also have an SSD. Yeah, from the factory. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. But but as far as upgrading an old machine, I mean, yes, this drive can go faster than your Mac can, but you're seeing a, a nice little boost there for uh, for what I think is short yeah. money. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, just some benchmarks here. So the, the old drive, the old uh, rotational drive, it took my system uh, the time to boot from hearing the chime to when it well, I'll say settles down when I see the disk activity go to almost zero, which yeah. means that it's finally loaded everything. Yeah. Because when you get the desktop, your system's still not quite done doing it. still everything. cranking. Yeah, that's right. Right. So, so and uh, my mechanical drive, I, it basically took about two minutes, 35 seconds. To okay. 
The SSD in the USB enclosure took one minute, 52 seconds. And then okay. inside of my machine on the ATA bus, uh, boot took uh, one minute, 14 seconds. Yeah. Much better. Much yeah, better. Everything's a lot snappier, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, Do you notice, um, as I have, do you notice your CPU like totally maxed out when you're booting up now? Um, Watch that uh, next time. Because I, that was one thing I yeah, noticed. Hold on. Let me let me try that. Yeah. Well. Hey. Whoa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe wait till later. Uh, all right. Well, that's cool. All right. I want yeah, to. So uh, I think the best strat. But I think the best strategy for everybody is, and you know, I think I even did run um, Omni Disk Sweeper. Mm, so if you have to make stuff a decision up. like I did, um, Omni Disk Sweep, Omni Disk Sweeper. Uh, is one tool that's great for finding the largest files or directories uh, or candidates for things that you can move off of that, that you may not want to put on the SSD because they're either too big or it just, just really doesn't make sense. So sweet. I'll put that in the show notes. I also put, I did put a, a tutorial that Brian Monroe in the, uh, in the chat room here. I'll say hello to everybody at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I, I put a link in the show notes for how to relocate your Mac's home folder too that, that Brian found. So uh, this is good stuff. I, I'm, I'm uh, I like it. It's fun. Uh, before we go on to Don's question, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Linda at L Y N D a dot com slash M G G. What, uh, what Linda does is they provide new fresh well i mean they've got new courses out at every day but they provide thousands of courses created and taught by experts on all kinds of topics uh, you know software web development photography graphic design business uh i did find a course thank thanks to a mac geek Up listener actually i didn't even have to search which was great i mentioned linda in the last show that i needed to learn how to use regex and uh sure enough uh, one of you pointed out uh, a course on regular expressions right there in Linda. Uh, I started watching. I have not finished. Uh, I had to do this show today and yesterday was Lisa's birthday. So it's been a little bit nuts here, but, uh, but that's how I'm going to learn regular, regular expressions. And I will, I will report back on my findings because uh, the, I, I have no doubt that this is going to teach this to me. These videos, they're super high quality, uh, super easy to follow. And the, the, the cool part is, that they're they're so well done. I mean, it's not like you know just some dude on YouTube. And and don't get me wrong, there's some dudes on YouTube that can teach you things, but most of the time it doesn't look all that good, and oftentimes the information isn't all that good either. But uh, but these Linda videos, they're they're professionally produced. They've got courses for all experience levels, and they've got them broken out ahead of time for you, so you know exactly what you're getting into. They have mobile apps so you can stream the courses right to your iPhone or iPad, which is really cool if you're trying to learn something on the on the computer, like to do on the computer. Put your iPad next to the computer, stream the course there, and then you can pause the course and uh, and try something out on the computer and then go back and forth. Uh, the courses are broken up into chapters and you can have it so that it just when one chapter finishes goes right to the next or you can set it to stop at the end of the chapter so you can tinker around a little bit, do whatever you're doing and then. Uh, and then, you know, move on to the next one. So they've, they've really, not only do they create these awesome courses, they've really perfected 
and continue to, to work on. Uh, it's certainly not something they, they stand still with, but they have perfected this learning environment that they put you in. And the courses are, are sort of the foundation of that, but it's not all that it is. There's, there's far more. They've got searchable transcripts and you can build playlists. And you even, when you finish a course, you get a certificate and you can publish that to your LinkedIn profile, which, you know, I, these courses from Linda, they're respected. Uh, so, you know, people are going to see these and say, Hey, you know, this person, they know their stuff just, just simply because you've got this transcript. In fact, uh, 30% of colleges and universities and most Ivy league schools offer lynda.com subscriptions to students and faculty members. So if that's not a testament to how good this stuff actually is, I don't know what is, you know, I mentioned the regex course, some, some courses that that might interest uh, you here just because you're listening to this show, iOS app development, essential training, iPhoto 11 essential training up and running with Apple remote desktop. Uh, they've got all kinds of things for, I mean, you, you can hear just from those examples, super geeky stuff. If you want to learn regex, uh, iPhoto 11 essential training for getting your feet wet and making sure you're not missing out on uh, some of the best features in the software that you use every day. So check it out. Lynda.com L Y N D a.com slash M G G that slash M G G is important uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it gets you your seven day free trial, but it also lets them know that you came from us. And, uh, and obviously that's a good thing for all of us too. So L Y N D a.com slash M G G. I'd appreciate it. If you check it out, I know John would appreciate it. And I think you'll appreciate checking it out and Hey, seven days for free. That's a good thing, right? So yeah. Yeah. A couple more things, Dave go. Regarding SSD. So okay. Well, yeah, 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 here, uh, yeah. Okay. I thought I wasn't sure if we were done with the sponsor thing, if you were where you were bringing us. So L Y N D A.com slash M G G. So go ahead, John. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> um, so I also got trim enabler. Yeah. All right. Yep. <clears throat> and some of the, and here's some of the interesting observations. Well, one putting this in a Mac mini, the Mac mini is, a challenging machine to replace the hard drive. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, like some Apple machines that you can't just pop it out. Actually, on this Mac Mini, you actually have to slide the CPU board back. Okay. So you can have enough space to pull out the SSD and then replace it. And also, you got to be careful because there's a temperature sensor that is uh, that adheres to the drive. Yeah, and I'll you tell you sure what. You get that right on this machine now. If you don't put that back, that that's when you run into the problems I originally had with this machine when I swapped the out the iMac. SSD. Yeah, the iMac has a similar thing. Yeah, yep. that. Yep. I think if it doesn't see, and I think it's just a little resistor called a, a RTD or something like that. It's a it's an electronic component that measures temperature, but right. if it's not there or present, your fans run all the time. Well, I think it assumes that the temperature is the maximum value. Mm hmm. And then it goes nuts and, and it cranks the fans because it, it believes that the machine is about to melt down. If you now, run into that, there is an app that you can run. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. There were a couple. I'm not running it anymore because I don't need to uh, because I took the, this, this thing apart and fixed it. But uh, oh, what was it called? It's not SMC fan control. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes again. Uh, I'll find it from a previous show, but there. Oh, I got one, Dave. Oh, you do because okay. I do have because I do have a temperature related thing. So the one thing I noticed, so it seems trim enabler. I was able to run it and install it, and it's it's running and it's not pestering me for for money. Which yeah, is nice. right, good. <clears throat> yeah, I think they do if you want extra features, but I believe the core functionality. Or yeah, I'll throw up some money anyways. Sure, but it has a screen and it shows temperature null. So apparently, this drive doesn't report its temperature. Uh, 
Okay. But what I did notice is once I installed this, Dave, now you and I both uh, upgraded to the latest iStat menus. Yes. And one thing I noticed, Dave, is looking at the various sensors. So it shows the HDD sensor. Mm -hmm. So it shows that I got it right and I didn't screw that up. But it showed one of my temperatures uh, red. It showed my CPU heat sink at 155 degrees Fahrenheit, and that turns it red. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. That's not good. So speaking of fan control, iStat Menus lets you set the fan control. So I think by default, the, right. fan, the exhaust fan on this runs at 1800 RPMs. And when it was running at the default speed, one of my sensors was indicating it was too hot. I kicked it up to 2000 RPMs and it is now at a temperature that is not red. So iStat Menus, and this, this is true whether you're running version 4 or version 5, it's had this for a while. Uh, will let you in will you let you set the minimum fan speed uh, and it lets you have profiles so you could have different profiles like I know I'm going to be doing video editing or something so I want to set them a little higher to get ahead of it or or whatever it lets you set your minimum fan speed but if you're having a problem uh, like like I was with the uh, the drive sensor not being there and the drive thinking that it's hot and the fans need to run at full tilt you cannot slow the fans down below the minimum speed that the system deems they should be running at with iStat menus. But there is other software that will, instead of reading iStat, instead of reading the, the temperature sensor that's on the drive, it'll, it'll read it via smart and then uh, adjust the fans accordingly. And that's what I was using. So, right. So, so my only conclusion is that with this drive in here, the drive may be running hotter than the drive that it came with. Yep. And it's kicking that one, or for whatever reason, the CPU is just working a little harder, but it, it only nudged one thing in to, to make it red. I mean, the machine still works, but I, I wasn't comfortable with it being red. Yeah. <laughs> so I just bumped up the fan speed and now uh, I'm happy. So just, just something to keep in mind if you do upgrade to an SSD or upgrade anything in your computer, you, you, may, uh, you may change the thermal dynamics. How do you yep. like that? I like that. I, that's actually, that <laughs> makes me really happy. It accordingly because yeah. we have had people write in saying, you know, if you run too hot, you can potentially damage your machine or, you, you know, have to deal with the, uh, you know, fans <laughs> running at like airplane speeds. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so I found two. One is the one that I was running was HDD fan control, which is from Ben Surtees at Surtees Studios. He makes a bunch of other shareware. That's not free. Uh, you do get to try it for free and he encourages that you try it for free for an hour to make sure it's going to work with whatever you've got going on with your system. Um, and then there's another one that is free called SSD fan control. Uh, and I actually tried both of them and they both worked fine. I, I wound up using Ben's, um, just cause I know Ben is a developer and I trust him. So, you know, uh, go figure. So I also had bought it. And so, you know, once you buy something, you want to support it. So there you go. But now I don't need it anymore. Cause I put the, the sensor in the right spot when I took it apart again and again and again and again and again. So you're happy with the SSD. How much, um, I, I should that meant to be I meant that to be a question. Are you happy with the SSD and how much space do you have available on it now that you've sort of migrated everything to where it needs to be? Um, I'm at a comfortable level right now. So if I go to uh, how can you tell how much space you have available? Well, I look in the finder. And that's what I'm doing right now. So I'm yeah. in the finder and then you click on more info and then there will be a storage tab. And so I'm looking right now. So it says. <clears throat> Excuse me. 240 gigs, solid state SATA. Ah. And right now I have 39.52 gigabytes free out of 239.06. And that is fine. 
I am. Um, I actually in the finder, and this is a trick that you may know and you may not, but I'll share it for the benefit of everyone. If you have a finder window open and you go to the view menu and choose show status bar, it actually shows you your free space available at the bottom of every finder window. So, which I like, I like yeah. it at a glance. You know, I think I've had to enable that. I think some recent OSs by default, turn that off. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. correct. But on all my machines, I have that. Yeah. So, so yeah, it also shows, yeah, 40.2 gigs available. So, okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Good stuff. So thank you so much, my friend. Oh no. Well, it's, it's, this is, we're progressing things along here. That's all we're doing. So yeah. Thanks to the good folks at OCZ for participating in our kind of long-term experiment here. It's a good thing. So, all right. Uh, let's move on to Don. See if we get a couple of quick questions here before we get into some more crazy stuff. Uh, Don writes on a recent trip to Turkey. I took several hundred photos with my digital camera before noticing that its date was set to 2016 instead of 2014. Is there any way that I can bulk modify all of the creation dates for my photos from June XX 2016 to June XXS 2014? I'm happy to buy an app to do this. If you so recommend. Great question, Don. And yeah, there's a couple of ways to do this. Uh, What you're talking about changing is not the modification date of the file, but an embedded date inside the picture that uh, is called uh, is part of something that's called EXIF data, E-X-I-F. And John, I'm I'm sure you're going to tell me what EXIF means, right? At some point, maybe. Do you know off the top of your head? I don't. Uh, something, something interchange format. I don't know. All right. But, uh, oh, sweet. You're correct, but I'm going to let you spit out yours because I got two, Dave. You got okay. two and I got two. All right, great. I'm going to surprise you. So I, I did. I found two things. Uh, Exif tool, uh, which is free, uh, is a command line only utility uh, with some instructions on their website. Uh, so it's not too bad to do this. Uh, but Exif tool is, uh, is has a date time shift feature. Uh, if you don't, and, and somebody wrote an automator, uh, some sort of action thing for it. Uh, so that's, that's one option, uh, if you want to use that. And then there is a better finder attributes, uh, works to do this too. It will edit the EXIF data in a photo and you can, uh, bulk edit all of that stuff. So. That is, those are the two I found. Some folks in the chat room are coming up with a couple more, but John, I'll let you go first. I got two. I know. And one of them, the price is right, Dave. I like that. The price is free. All right. And what's the application, you may ask? The application is iPhoto. Seriously? <laughs> I am serious, How brother. did I miss that? <laughs> I'm going to, uh, oh, I'm going to surprise. You know, I, I keep uh, surprising you after all these years. It's awesome. So, Here's what you do in iPhoto. You go to iPhoto and then you go to the photos section, which you should get a list of your photos. Um, and then you highlight the photos that you would like to change the date on. You then, I'm sorry, you go to the, here's the path. iPhoto, photos, batch change, date. Who so this knew? Is a feature. This is a feature built into iPhoto. To oh, change well that's, the date on photos. That's the best answer. <laughs> And then a better answer, <laughs> if you have Aperture, now, of course, you have to pay for Aperture. I believe the, the last price I checked was $79. And right. uh, even though they, you know... Um, it's end well, of life, both, man. Well, 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 actually, iPhoto and Aperture yeah, are both... Right. Um, Apple has clearly stated that they're not going to develop either one of those anymore. They're still usable, sure. and, and they're still great. And sure. you know, again, iPhoto, the price is right. So 
Get it while you can. I would even say Aperture. You know, it's not like Aperture is going to stop working because uh, from what I hear, it'll work under Yosemite. It'll run. They'll, they'll make sure it runs under Yosemite. Maybe not under future OSs, but as far as I know, Aperture will still run. So it's not like it's dead. Totally dead. It's not going to get on the cart yet. Right. That's right. <laughs> I'm not but dead yet. <laughs> so here's the, the other section. So in Aperture, very similar. So in Aperture, you go to the photos view, you highlight the photos you'd like to change the date on, and then there is a metadata menu. And part of that, one of the choices there is adjust date and time. That's awesome. So there you go. So both of Apple's photo apps let you change the date because that's a common problem. Yeah, um, sure. You know, I don't, I don't know if technically that is EXIF data, Dave. It could be EXIF data. When I hear EXIF, I, I typically think of data that is more photography specific, like, you know, the shutter speed and the aperture and the ISO and stuff like that. But I, I, I guess you could consider the date and time. I think it is. And the location uh, included in there as well. Yeah, yeah so right. All the additional stuff right. that's not the photo, I guess you, right. you, you could make a blanket statement and say that's all EXIF data. Yep. Yeah. The metadata tags defined in the EXIF, IX stand, uh, easy for me to say, EXIF standard cover a broad spectrum date and time information, camera settings, oh, there you go. thumbnail descriptions and copyright information. That's from uh, Wikipedia. So it must be true. And according to Wikipedia, which agrees with doc rock in the chat room, uh, and we'll use doc rock as the definitive source on this. It is the exchangeable, image file format so there you go that's that yeah. yeah yeah it's pretty good i like it hazel and lightroom are two other apps that uh, could do this as well hazel uh, hazel's i you know i say this every time and paul's a great guy uh, uh we love everything at NoodleSoft, but uh i don't use hazel enough i i should i should learn to go there first to do things like this because it's so universally awesome. So we'll put, uh, we'll put a link to Hazel in the, in the show yeah. notes too. And yeah. Lightroom, of course, uh, is Adobe's uh, photo solution, which they are not abandoning like Apple. And actually they've been trying to bring people over. Um, and from what I know, I, I, I know several of my, uh, you know, semi-pro and professional and even not professional uh, photo pals and, yeah. uh, Lightroom is is a, a certainly a very very capable program, and unlike Aperture, they update it. Yeah, right. Now, the gripe I've heard about Lightroom is that I'm not sure if I think you can still get a standalone version, but I guess the, the one fish shake some people have against Adobe now is that they really want you to do this Creative Cloud thing, the which subscription. is a subscription based yeah. thing, and not everybody's really happy with that model or feels it may be worth it. I mean, yeah, get I off think of my I saw lawn. The other day. Well, I think I saw the other day I was updating, you know, yet again, Adobe Flash Player. And at the end of the whole process said, hey, by the way, would you like Creative Cloud for $9.95 a month? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I was very te- I'm like, you know, only 10 bucks a month and I can get Lightroom? Really? Yep. It's like, but you add that up over time. I mean, over, you know, years or decades. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good price. You Photoshop and all that stuff. Yeah. It's pretty good. All right. Uh, let's go on to Chris, John. If you don't mind. Sure. All right. Because I think that's, uh, that's interesting. We'll do Chris and then, well, we'll have a break and then we'll do Mark and then we'll jump around. Ah, Chris. Yes. I guess you'd like me to uh, hit this off. Yeah. And sure. I have it in front of me, believe it or not. Okay. Chris says, hi guys, I'm having issues with my iPhone five. I returned my last one because it was extremely sluggish and I thought it was faulty hardware, but the replacement one was no better for the first couple of weeks. 
It seems to it seems to be right now, but I would really love to know what is going on. So would we. <laughs> when it's on a go slow, even even swiping between pages on the home screen, the animation is jerky. When using apps such as Facebook, when scrolling, it lags, then catches up. You can be scrolling, and suddenly the scrolling jumps the opposite direction, or thinks a swipe is a tap and goes. Uh, so, yeah. So he's he's experiencing sluggish to respond. Sluggish to respond to, I guess, user input. So it seems to be the theme here. Yep. Um, and based on what he said, to, to me, it's certainly reasonable to assume it could be a hardware problem. But if it's happening on another one, then I'd, I'd say the, the likelihood of that is is low. Very, very low. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he said that he did set up this phone as well as the last one by restoring from a backup. He has also tried wiping the phone and setting up as new and re-downloading the apps. And he was wondering if the problem is something to do with Spotlight catching up with indexing the data that my 150 apps. I think that may be the problem. <laughs> He's pulled not, down from the cloud the when I. You don't think so? Nah, dude, I have way more than that on my phone. I've got Well, I'm going to give you apps. my thoughts. Because go I, ahead. I think it you know, be, I think it's yeah, good. Let me, let, me, yeah. then let me wrap it up here. Yeah, um, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pulled them down from the cloud. And, uh, and so he's thinking that the, the spotlight indexing task may be taking too much CPU, and that's interfering. Well, some task is. That's yeah. his theory. Yeah. Um, I noticed that, well, yeah, Facebook app. Yeah, a lot of people have problems with that. It's actually gotten pretty good um, lately. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think that that about wraps it up. So, so he's getting sluggish performance. He's got an iPhone 5. He's got about 150 apps on there. What's up? How can you tell what's going on? And so you and I both had replies, Dave. And I, I will, I'll give my view because I yeah. think we both have something to add. Here. I absolutely agree. Um, so as I said before, uh, since it happens across devices, uh, I doubt it's a hardware issue. That'd be very unlikely. So therefore... I think it must be an app, Dave. Now, I'm going to expand what I call an app, is that it could be a system process, as he pointed out. It could be Spotlight, um, or a background app, or something else taking a processor. My reflection, Dave, is that sadly, the tools under iOS aren't quite up to par that they really... (laughs) I would so love to have Activity Monitor on iOS, but we don't have that, Dave. If we did, then maybe we could figure out what the heck is going on here. But we don't have it. But we have things that that, uh, approach it in functionality. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so I said, you know, the one utility that I think could give you at least some data to work with here, it's called system status. And you can get it from www.techet.net slash sysstat. But you need to buy it from the App Store or download it from the App Store, right? Yes, you do need to okay. purchase this. So this is, this is an app. I don't think it's very expensive. I'll, uh, yeah. I think it's only a few bucks here. I, I, I don't have it in front of me right now. Well, I have the, the webpage. I'll, I'll, I'll get the price in a moment here. But the important thing is that what this shows you, David, it's two ninety nine US. Okay, so, great. Come on. Cheap. Yeah, and, and even a thrifty fellow like me actually bought it. Right. <laughs> because it tells you so much information. And to me, Dave, the key pieces of information that it tells you, which I think he could use to figure out his problem is that it tells you CPU usage as a percentage. Right. The other thing it tells you is all of your running processes. And then I'll... So my suggestion, Dave, was adding all of your apps back in one fell swoop. If you do that, you're probably never going to get to the bottom of this. My opinion is that it could... 
it's probably a problematic app. But if you're not methodical on this, and, and I realize it'll take time to do this, but if if you don't approach this in in you know a strategic way and just put all the apps back, you're never going to figure out which one is causing problems. And I'm convinced there is one or more apps that is causing this problem for them. So my suggestion was, you know, with this utility is add your apps back slowly. And then, you know, use this tool and see if anything has changed. Either, you know, uh, the processes, which it'll list, I believe, the processes as well as how long they've been running. So, um, you know, you could see if anybody new shows up, but it also show the CPU utilization. So at some point he could say, oh, well, I just added, you know, these 10 or 20 apps back and all of a sudden my CPU is pegged. Yep. Okay. Now you have a place to start to yep. diagnose this. I use an app called System Activity Monitor on iOS. It does similar thing. It shows the um, kind of a running uh, CPU graph to to show you know what percentage of the CPU is being used, and then it shows my processes on that same screen, ordered by the one that's using the most CPU at the top. It doesn't. It does. Yes. Oh, good. It doesn't show, and it's a buck ninety nine. I put a link in the show notes. Uh, it doesn't show me the percentage used by each app. I, I think that's information that apps can't get, but they can get the list. So at least if it, it sure seems like that's information apps can't get, because it, if they could, somebody would be reporting it. But um, but they can show you overall CPU core usage, and then. Um, and then, you know, the order of apps. So if you see that your CPU is pegged, look at the list and whatever's at the top, that's probably what's using the most, or it is what's using the most. That's probably what's using the majority of it. And, you know, the way to test that is leave this app running, double tap, go and swipe up on the app that's, that's a, that, you, that is at the top of the list and come back and see what's going on here. Now, uh, that's one way to do it. I, I, I totally am with you that, the best way to do this is one app at a time and, 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 and sort of, well, not one, well, maybe, yeah, but doing it in chunks and just to figure it out. But before you put any apps on, the first thing you do is when you set up that phone, you're going to sync it with iCloud. And I have seen it. We've talked about it on the show. Uh, I've even written articles about it. I've seen where data from iCloud uh, can cause all kinds of problems. My son had put, he had, what was it that he had put like a big long string? He wanted to be able to text his friend like, ha ha ha, I, I don't know, 500 times. And so he built this keyboard shortcut in iOS that he would type, you know, like, uh, I don't know, Timmy, ha ha or whatever, whatever it was. And then it would just paste in 500 of these ha ha ha's and he could text that to his friend anytime he wanted and like totally fill up his screen or whatever. Uh, turns out it's not very cool, man. It turns out that it backfired on him because <laughs> Once Good. he put that in on his iPhone, every time he pulled up a keyboard, it would either crash the app because it, you know, when it pulls up the keyboard, it loads all these shortcuts and it took forever to load it. It would sometimes cause a RAM issue. And at the very least, it was just really slowed for him to be able to start typing. And so we actually, we did, we swapped out his iPhone because we, we refreshed it, right? We wiped it clean. We started fresh. Same thing. Okay. Must be something with this phone. The geniuses agreed. We swapped it out came home in the same thing, right? You know, as soon as it was there, cause it was restoring this key, the keyboard shortcuts are synced via iCloud. And so what I did was I went in on the Mac because the Mac, uh, if you sync it with iCloud gets all the same data that iOS gets. 
And then you can go into that iCloud folder, the, the library uh, mobile documents folder, which is your iCloud folder. And I went and I just deleted, I started, I, I you know what? I was looking at, at, um, uh, uh, because it was crashing, there were crash logs being stored inside the iPhone because we had diagnostic data turned on. And so I was able to see that it was like springboard and keyboard and that sort of headed us down that path. But, um, but don't rule out iCloud data because there's a lot of settings there that might be migrating to your phone. It might not be an app at all. It might be data, uh, corrupt preference data in iCloud. So there you go. That's my, that's my wrap on that. Good. It's a good rap. It is. What was rap. the other? Uh, yeah, you put the one that I said. What, what was the one that you mentioned again? The app that you ran? Oh, I'll put that in the. Uh, I put it in the show notes already. It's there. Ah, there it is. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's called System Activity Monitor. All right. So I want to talk about our second sponsor here, if I may. And that is Barebones with BB Edit. BB Edit is. Uh, Available at barebones.com. You can also buy it from the Mac App Store, but I highly recommend going to barebones.com. Get your free trial there. Check it out. And uh, and then when you decide to buy, you can either buy it right from Barebones. I think you can even buy it kind of inside the app if you've got the trial, or you can go to the Mac App Store if you prefer to do it that way. BB Edit is a fantastic text editor. And it's the kind of thing that seems really geeky. And you might say, oh, I, I'm not geeky enough to need a text editor. Uh you might not need all the geeky features. I certainly don't. Uh, but this thing is built to do so much. The, 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 its primary purpose uh, is, yes, when you're programming, it makes things so much easier because it highlights your code. It doesn't change your code. It just highlights the way you see it on the screen. Very subtly, this is created by programmers for them to use, right? So they don't want too much eye candy. They just want the data that makes sense to them. So things are highlighted in sort of a subtle way, but a very easy to see way. When you start a function, it highlights that it breaks it out nicely. When you start, uh, you know, if you're doing, but you know, you can do C plus plus and you can do HTML, right? You can do JavaScript. It, it, all the languages are supported. And I really truly believe that I have yet to find a language that BB edit doesn't just automatically recognize and format nicely for you. So, you know, you, you're building like an ordered list or something in, in HTML and it'll, it'll actually build the list for you if you want. But even if you open up a file that has one, it's all right there. Simple in front of you. It can open and save files from your FTP server. So if you've got, if you've got like a DreamHost account or something, uh, you don't have to download the file, edit it, and then upload it. BB Edit actually does that inside. Uh, it does it when you hit Command S. It uploads the change to, the, to your FTP server, makes it live on the web for you. It's, it's fantastic the way they, they make this thing work. But I also use it just to manipulate text all day. It's a true text-only editor, so it doesn't have uh, any way of formatting text to save it. There's no uh, underlines. There's no bold. There's no none of that stuff. It's just a text editor, which makes it super easy. If you need to like sort a list of text or you need to search through a bunch of text, you can just paste it into BB edit. I always leave kind of a working BB edit window open and, uh, and it works so well. I just, I always want to go in, I delete whatever I had in there previously. I can sort text. I can find things in text. It's it. I can count words. It's always right there at my fingertips. So I highly recommend you can go get a, a free trial. There's no risk. Go check it out. Barebones.com. 
Download it, play with it, see how you like it. I'll be shocked if you don't use it and find something that you say, oh, yeah, 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 I get this now. I, I, I need this. And it's 50 bucks. That's the thing. It used to be hundreds of dollars. They've changed. Uh, and now it's 50 bucks. So, you know, it's not going to break the bank. And you've got a piece of software that's going to last you a good long time. They keep updating it and adding all kinds of cool things. So check it out. Uh, barebones.com. All right, John, are we, uh, are we moving on to Mark here? Cause we, we promised we would hit this topic. So we got to make sure we hit this AT&T residential gateway thing and just talk through this a little bit at least. Yes. Oh, um, go. Yeah. I was looking ahead to the, the next question, but yes, right. let, let's yeah, well, I want to try and hit both Not of those. I have AT&T, but, but no, we, well, we've gotten a lot of questions about folks like Mark who have AT&T residential gateways, UVerse, if you will. And, uh, there's a common theme there. It, these new, uh, the, the, the router that they give you with this is kind of an all in one baked in device that you can't replace with something that you buy on your own. Um, you can add your own router to it, but it seems like from what we're finding from all of you, we don't have any of these. As John mentioned, he doesn't have it. I don't have it. I'm a Comcast uh, subscriber here. We, we don't have UVerse. but, uh, based on all this back and forth troubleshooting we've done, with uh, with a lot of you, we've learned a couple of things. And one of the main things that we've learned is that these AT&T gateways do they, they are routers, uh, which means if you were to then add, say, a time capsule or an airport extreme or you know, Buffalo or Linksys or anything like Nick or whatever, uh, you're going to wind up in a double router situation where you've got a router in your cable modem and then you're plugging in uh, this, you know, your router into it. And that can cause a lot of weirdness uh, because of a lot of what we talked about last week with the way IPv4 works, not IPv6, but IPv4, uh, you're sharing one IP address. So if you're sharing an IP address, if you're, if your AT&T device is sharing an IP address and then it's handing one of those that it's shared to with your airport extreme, and then that's sharing an IP address, you get into a double routing or a double NAT situation, which is rarely what you want. So, uh, in a general sense, the best way we've found to deal with this is to disable the routing in anything you might add to the equation. And that's going to be uh, putting your in, in, in the uh, airport, in the Apple world, it's called putting it into bridge mode. I mean, we can call it that everywhere. Uh, it might be putting it into access point mode instead of router mode, depending on what your router manufacturer calls that. But you're turning off the routing and just making it an access point, a wireless access point. Um, maybe if it's, if it's a time capsule, it's also a, you know, a, a simple NAS device that has a, you know, it's got a little drive in it that it shares all that still works. It's just not doing the routing. So that's the, that's, that's, that's kind of the gist I think of, of what, uh, what we've talked about with, with a lot of you and, and what we found with a lot of you. So I just wanted to share that here, kind of to fast track that if any of any, anybody else runs into it, John, is there anything I'm, I'm missing here? as part of that AT&T U-verse conversation? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I wish I had some hands on with it and you know, it, it's funny, Dave, because I'm currently an AT&T customer with a landline through them. And I, I for the life of me, I don't think I've ever received any information about U-verse from them. They might not have it in your I'm, area. No, I'm I'm kidding, of course. Oh, no. oh, oh. They okay. constantly <laughs> oh. pester me. I've had I've had people knock on my door, Dave, 
going door to door saying, hi, would you actually it was funny when I first moved into my house uh, a number of years ago, I already got cable vision because I'm very happy with uh, opt online. And like the day I closed on my house, the AT&T people were banging on my door because they knew because, you know, it's public record. And they're like, hi, would you like you? I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> All set. They're like, why not? I'm like, because I'm happy with what I got, man. No, they're very, very persistent in trying to convince me to switch over to Uverse, but I'm, I'm just not interested. I, I get it. I know what it does, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a general issue with, uh, you know, someone uh, running a router that you don't necessarily have full control over. And how, how do you deal with that? That you just sort of have to de- to live with it. Uh, one thing I will point out, I believe these AT&T devices maybe get a good text saying, hi, can you put your thing in not router mode? Yeah, let me use mine. And depending on the technician you get, they may either, you know, depending on their script or whatever, they could just say it, it all depends. You know, heck, it's worth a shot to see if they I mean, it may be technical, technically, you know, off their script yep. to do that for you. I'm sure it's technically possible to put it in bridge mode and then let you do the router. But yeah. 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 No, I don't. Yeah. I don't think you can do that. That's what, again, you and I haven't had hands on with this, but, but everything I've read and everything I've kind of worked with, with, with a lot of you has indicated you can't put it in bridge mode. Um, however, well, you what, can't, they could, but maybe they don't want to. For yeah. They, right. That's a Yeah. Fair, fair point. Fair point. That's right. Um, the, uh, what Michael in the in the chat room is suggesting is to put your local uh, local router in in bridge mode and and set uh, DMZ from the uh, AT and T router through to your local stuff so that you're you're passing any uh, any traffic through and 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 then Ooh. yeah which which could work um, DMZ being demilitarized zone which is kind of network jargon for like a kind of middle ground between your network and someone else's network. Yeah. It'll it, it, find the technical definition. It passed DMZ means take all traffic, all incoming traffic that you don't know what to do with. And instead of ignoring it, which is the default for uh, IPV4 routers these days um, is say, take all this incoming traffic and pass it to that device. And, and, and then that device will deal with it. So that could work. That, I mean, you're, you're turning off your, 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 your sort of de facto firewall system um, on the, on the AT&T router, but eh, that's not such a bad idea. One thing I will say about this is you may wind up with a situation where you've got the AT&T router and your, your uh, you know, aftermarket uh, router on, uh, you know, on your network and probably in close proximity to each other. The only issue with that is, wireless you don't really want two base stations right on top of each other for the same band uh if you've got one in five gigahertz mode and one in 2.4 that can be okay it can be okay uh it's not always okay but it can be but if you've got two 2.4s turn off the radio on one of them you definitely don't want to be fighting uh each other and if they're right on top of each other you will be so that that's another thing to just bear in mind as you as you head down this path, I, I don't know that we have a whole lot much more to say on this, John. I just, I just wanted to address it because we've been hearing from so many people about it lately. So. All right. You want to take us to Rob? Cause I think this one's kind of fun. I had fun with I it. I think it is. And boy, did I wax poetic here, but yeah. here we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to, I, I was digging in. I, I was getting in the, we're going to get dirty here, folks. Okay. Oh, it's going to get geeky. Be, 
Yeah. Don't be afraid. And maybe a bit dirty. So uh, anyways, Rob writes, dear geek gabbers, <laughs> I set up a NAS drive, a Drobo 5N. It works, but seems to be much, much slower than the Drobo S it replaced. Question one, how do I clock the transfer speeds, both direct connect, Ethernet to a Cat5 network and Wi-Fi? What should they be? And we could take a whole episode just with that. Just with yeah. that. Let me continue a bit yeah. here. Um, however, maybe my problem resides in how I am backing up. I have three shares, one for my wife's time machine, one to back up my hard drive via carbon copy cloner, and one for a remote hard drive, uh, which will soon be a Plex Media server. Because I back up my computer at work via time machine, I have carbon copy cloner set up at home to back up as a disk image. It takes hours for the Drobo to compare everything on my hard drive than to do the backup, even when direct connected. But this is the way Bombage Software uh, advises me to set up. Which is right, because you're backing up to a disk image, and that's the safe way to do it. That's right. Right, right. Um, So that's his first general question. And the second, am I using the best setup to get my hard drive backed up via CCC to the 5N, or is there a better, more efficient way? And he's running OS 10, 10.9.4, Carbon Copy Cloner, I assume the latest version, the Drobo 5N. Airport Express, which looks to be the latest, and a MacBook Pro 15-inch late 2011. Cut me off, and we're going to cut them off. Okay. So where we're going to start digging here, Dave, is, you know, I mean, that's a loaded question. Not so much how do I clock the speeds, but what should they be? So that was his question. Yeah. Or at the end of his first question, what should they be? And I'm going to get, I'm going to, get to a point here where I'm going to help you understand how you could even approximate what you think you should be getting. Of course you could just measure it, but that's no fun. Well, you can <laughs> the thing is well, yeah. your measuring may not be right either. It could be way off. Something could be seriously wrong. Well, yeah. How do you know that measuring so is the first. Yeah, that, it's true. Cause I, you know, I will, we'll talk about it and I had fun measuring it and then realizing the flaws. I actually realized the flaws in my measuring methodology twice uh, while answering his question and finally came up with what I think the right one is, but I'll, I'll, uh, not pedantically walk you through the two I did wrong and why it was wrong. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. Give us, yeah, you, I, I want, well, I'm going to give you the foundation. Yeah. Give us some so foundation. Where do you start with what throughput you be, sh- you should be seeing to any drive that you're talking to. Yep. And now here's the first part. Not a lot of people may realize this, but you will now that we've told you this. So there are two speeds that drives typically advertise. The one that they like to tout is the interface speed yeah. of the drive, which is typically SATA 1, SATA 2, or SATA 3 in this day and age. Though in the past, it was SCSI and all that stuff there. Yeah, that's right. And they may say, hey, we're a SATA 3 drive. And you could e- either get a rotational or an SSD that it claims to have a SATA 3 interface. Does that mean you will get SATA 3 speeds, which is 6 gigabits per second? And the answer is absolutely no. You might not with not with uh, I I think SSDs may get there. Well, we just talked about it. Your SSD will hit it. Well, it's hitting the SATA two threshold, not the SATA three. No, no, no. It well, it's hitting the SATA two threshold because that's your max. But it's limited. Okay, so it may. No, that drive is rated to hit like five fifty on reads. So that's okay. I mean, that's full SATA three. All right. So so the answer is with an SSD, perhaps. And as they as they get better and, Mm -hmm. and yeah. Um, with a rotational drive, almost certainly not. Right. <laughs> yeah, not, not SATA reach, 3. There's you no will way. not reach the speed of the interface. And so, not with a single drive. Right. And that's another point that I got to here. So, yeah. for example, 
Um, one of the drives that I have, so, you know, I still love this drive to death. I, I still think it's a good value. The Momentus XT yep. uh, that I have in my MacBook Pro. And what you want to do is you want to look at the spec sheet for the drive to get an idea of the maximum transfer speed. So, for example, the Momentus XT, which, again, I, I think is nice for a rotational drive. It's kind of a hybrid. You know, it's kind of SSD-like, but not an SSD. So it says, hey, it's a 6 gigabit per second IO transfer rate, which is SATA 3. But when you look further in the specification for a drive, it says, oh, by the way, the maximum internal transfer rate is 1.23 gigabits per second. Sure. That is the maximum speed you're going to get. Even though it has, now, now it's good that it has a SATA 3 interface, but the best you're going to get out of that thing, as they say, and they advertise, and some vendors, you got to really dig to find this number, the maximum internal transfer rate is the maximum speed you're going to see out of that drive. That's it. Yeah, that, rotational drive vendors tend to to obscure that information. Uh, right, SSD they just the interface. SSD drive vendors. SSD drive vendors tout it because they're they're able to hit those interface limits, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Right, and so this totally depends on the drives that you have in there. So that's mm-hmm. item number one. Now, item number two. If you're talking the Drobo or any other NAS that has more than one drive bay uh, and does something RAID-like, which all of the Synology does, KeyNap, yeah. uh, all these guys do, you have the potential to, to implement what I'm going to call data striping. Which is and by default in the Drobo, by the way. Right. right. And, and it's an aspect of any sort of RAID or any sort of advanced drive technology. Or it's, well, not, it's not, not all RAIDs. Advanced. It's, not an, it's not an aspect of mirroring. But it, it's, Correct. you know, in a three or more drive scenario, it is what will happen. In a two drive two. scenario, no, in a two drive scenario, typically they're not striped. Certainly not in a Drobo. They're, they're effectively mirrored at that point because you, you've got fault okay. tolerance. They're just because just of the way the Drobo works. I think technically they are striped. But the striping effectively becomes a mirror because you need a one drive fault tolerance. And how else would you do that? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's yes, all. Yes. Yeah. All right. So the thing is for any enclosure that can take multiple drives, there's the potential for you to multiply the performance of a single drive by the number of drives in the unit. So for example here, just to use an example. So say I had one of these drives that I just talked about that has 1.23 gigabits per second and say I had five of those, well, potentially, I could reach, if they do data striping and they do it properly, depending on the vendor, I could potentially reach five times 1.23 gigabits per second. Or with fault okay. tolerance, yeah. I think you would reach four times that. I, th- I, I think, but I might be wrong about, about that. I'm not exactly right. sure. But I'm, fault, I'm talking but it, theoretical, and there's, yeah. you know, there's theoretical performance. But, but still, you can increase your concept. performance. That's right. Right. That's the basic concept yeah. for any enclosure that takes more than one drive and does a form of data striping, is you can multiply the raw throughput by that number. That's right. So that's item number one, and that's a theoretical value, and, you know, do your math on, on a sheet here. Now, the second thing, of course, is how does the enclosure talk to the rest of the world? Now, in the case of the Drobo 5N, it has a single, from what I saw in the specs, a yep. single gigabit Ethernet port. That's right. So the absolute maximum speed that you're going to be talking to this thing is one gigabit per second. Which is effectively 110 megabytes a second, right? Give or take-ish. Right. So for an enclosure with a single interface... Um, yeah, so for example, the, the example that I gave here... So for example, you could have the potential for the technology within the enclosure to go faster than the interface it's connected 
to and talking to the outside world. So that could be a bottleneck. Yeah, there is sure. a link aggregation. Like, for example, even my Synology, uh, the, even the one that I have here, it has two Ethernet ports. Now, it doesn't the, my router doesn't support link aggregation. But in theory, because it has two gigabit Ethernet ports, in theory, I could get two gigabits per second throughput. If you had the On right network. network hardware. Right. That's right. If I had the correct router. The, the thing is, the airport does not support this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the air, airport, it doesn't support, I think it's 802.ac or something no. like that, 802.3. Some, yeah, it's, some something. 80, it's something, but it's, it's called link aggregation. Yep. So that's the other thing. And now you got to look at that. Now you may have gigabit Ethernet. Uh, you, you could have USB 3. You could have Thunderbolt, which, you know, can go, what is latest now? 20 gigabits, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. And yep. So, uh, you know, again, to get to the question of what, what could I see, that's the second point and you know it could be that either one could be a bottleneck you could either have you know doggy drives that are never <laughs> going to reach the maximum interface speed or you could have drives that are really fast and they're and they're uh, striped but the interface is holding you back yeah so that was the background i wanted to give and and hopefully he can get the specs to determine this if uh you know his drives are maybe holding him back to, to what he should see or it's his interface and, and i guess that's the point where um and then i guess the third thing i mentioned here is how can you uh, measure this? Can I, can I I'll, take I'll that? Co- yeah. Because I, I did well, this today. I was today. just going to mention activity monitor at a very high level can measure this, either disk throughput or network throughput. Activity monitor is a tool, but there are probably better ones. And yes, now well, I will hand it yeah. to you, my friend. No, I used activity monitor until I realized it was the wrong thing to use, right? Oh. Uh, well, and here's why. So I have a Drobo 5N on my network here. Uh, and I have two disk stations at the moment of 1513 plus and a 214 SE. So the 1513 has five bays in it. The Drobo 5N has five bays in it. I think I've only got, I should, I should, I should know this. Uh, can I pull it up from here? No, I don't have the Drobo software on here. I think I've got four drives in my Drobo 5N for what that's worth. And that may actually be a factor here. So that that's worth noting. There's, there's certainly not five drives in it. I believe I have four drives in it. Okay. Uh, my, my 15, 13 plus I've got five drives in and my two fourteen SE, I have two drives in. So, uh, for the first thing I did was I thought, well, uh, I just need to do some copying of a big file. So I had a, a two gig disc image on, you know, I've got two drives in my, uh, in my iMac. And those of you that are paying attention are going to know what my initial, uh, flaw was here. Uh, I, I had, you know, on my one terabyte spindle drive, I had a, a two gig file. And so I thought, great, I'll just copy that over to each of these devices and measure it. And I did that. And they both, I, I, I did the five N and the 1513 before I even got to doing it with the 214 SE with the, the two base Synology. I realized, wow, they're both stopping at about 70 megabytes a second. I know I've seen them both go faster than this. And then of course it hit me. I'm dealing with the, and I was using activity monitor to tell me how fast it was transferring data. Uh, I'm dealing with a speed limitation of the drive. I am copying from my spindle drive tops out at about 70 megabytes a second. So of course that's what these drives Wait are going to report. I thought you said you had two drives in this machine, Dave. What, what is the other drive? Well, the other is ask? an SSD that I know oh, tops my. out at like 150. 
And you have no control over which drive your files are stored on. Is that correct? No, of course I do. I, I don't use a Fusion drive. So uh, oh, you don't. No, but I if don't. You did then you'd have no control. That's oh, okay. correct. All right. Yeah. All right. No. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So I copied this file to my SSD and then copied to the uh, to the, the the various drives to the Drobo 5N. I got 87 megabytes a second to the uh, the. 15 the the disk station i got 113 which is completely soaking up my gigabit pipe uh and the difference between those two may not be a capability difference between the devices it may be that i have four drives in one and five drives in the other um so that bear that in mind uh the ds the disk station the two bay disk station topped out at about 55 megabytes a second so um so that's that's where that came from and then I realized, you know, copying. You said you saturated it at what what speed? One thirteen. Okay. No, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but I, yeah. I just wanted to because the thing is now we're talking in different units here, and I just want to offer a mm. tip here. So some people may be asking because we're talking about gigabit Ethernet, and that's a, a that's right one gigabit per second, correct? That's right. Yep. What is that in megabytes per second? How could you possibly find this out? Well, I'll tell you how. You go, go on Safari, and it's using Google Search. Yep. If you type in one space. GBPS space equals space question mark space capital M capital B very important yes you get the units right and then PS well it'll tell you that one gigabit per second is 125 megabytes per second yeah yeah and with file overhead and all that because to me that sounded like a low figure but yeah so in theory 125 megabytes per second is the maximum you're going to see on a gigabit pipe and you got pretty darn close <laughs> i did yeah and i've soaked up the gigabit pipe with this with this unit before so i knew that i could do that um which is great you know and i should try link aggregation to see really how fast this thing would go and i gotta put it now i realize i gotta put a fifth drive in the 5n and, and see how fast that thing can really go but you know i, I had this i was having this conversation in my head as i'm doing this i'm thinking well there's file io and and you know things with the finder Whenever I'm testing a drive itself, I use what I mentioned before, Blackmagic Speed Test. It's free from the App Store. It's an awesome speed test app because it it doesn't read from anywhere. It just writes data or reads data, but but it's it's a it's a it's a test from RAM to or from whatever device you're um you're testing. So, it's much better in that it doesn't involve a second device like, you know, for me my local hard drive's copying data to or from. So uh, I wasn't sure if it would work over the network, but it totally does. You just point it wherever you want it to go and it good to go. Speeds came in a little lower with Blackmagic because they do various different types of tests, but not much lower. I got 80 megabytes a second on the, on the Drobo, 100 on the, on the disk station, the five disk, disk station, and 45 writes. Uh, that's reads and writes on the, on the Drobo uh, at, at 80 and the, the five bay disk station at 100 uh, in the di- in the two bay disk station, writes were forty five and reads were sixty, um, and that's really the accurate way to do it because you're you're ruling out as many things and you're only dealing with the device that you're trying to test. So, uh, so you know, there you go. That those are the speeds I get with four drives in the Drobo, five drives in the disk station, and two drives in a disk station. And they're cheap drives; they're not anything special or fancy. There's the Drobo actually has the uh, the SSD cache, the the hot cache there, but um, but the other ones don't. So it's you know, but that's that's ballpark what what I think would be normal to get based on what I've seen with various NAS units I've tested and all that stuff. So yeah, 
There you go. Nice. Yeah. It's hot like uh like red. There. Like red fish bone. That's right. I mean, listen. <laughs> Doesn't really exist. That was our <laughs> confused interpretation of something from the past. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's deep right, right? there. Oh yeah. Um the only thing I'll mention is that if you if you want to Make sure your network is operating at peak efficiency. There is this tool that we have oh, used, yeah. uh, both, of, both of us have used, called iPerf. Yep. I think you can actually find it at iPerf.fr, which I think is very French. Uh, right. Do they have a Mac build there? I, I typically, I use iPerf from the command line, and I think you can get that from, from there. However, um, if you don't want to use it from the command line, there is a... Uh, Java front end version that exists oh. called JPerf. So um, we'll put a link to both. But I'm glad you. Uh, was, go ahead. You know, as far, as far as the speeds you. Then the second question, which I, I think we kind of glossed over, is, you know, am I doing this right? And I, I think I kind of touched upon it, Dave. You may want to consider your backup strategy in that does it make sense for you to do a delta? I think you may have seen that in my reply to him. I'm like, you got to look at how much time it takes for whatever tool you're using. Does it make sense for you to compare Mm. if you need to reach into the past? Because the thing is, it can take quite a bit of horsepower for whatever it is, be a time machine or carbon copy or, or whatever to say what has changed. Yeah. And that could be a significant amount of work before it says, oh, one thing has changed. Right. Okay. I'll write that out. You want to think about that versus the performance of saying, you know what? Just do another snapshot. Just just blast it out. Huh. And, and depending on how often your content changes, I mean, the same with Time Machine. Right? Yeah, I mean, Time Machine's better it's, at that, though, because it uses FS events to know FS what's events, changed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it knows. Uh, uh, yeah, it knows pretty accurately. Okay, this directory changed, this directory changed. So here's the data that I need to do. But it still takes time for it to dig through the... Uh, uh, database yeah or, or you know the events to to find that out yeah it may be worth you know to use a tool like carbon copy cloner or uh super duper or something to say you know what just just do a snapshot of this yeah and just uh, and if you have a high performing enough network I, I would argue it may make sense for you to just do that if yeah, you don't need reading lots copies. of you know my tests were to test raw throughput and mm-hmm. so I was either using black magic, which is just, you know, pouring data or copying a two gigabyte file, which is also just pouring data. There's no, uh, there's not a lot of, um, uh, disc interaction in terms of let's set up this copy. What file are we doing? Create the file now, pump the data in now, close the file, right? None of that was happening. Right. And when you're so doing that's, that's lo- my point. Yeah, when you're doing lots of small files, it's not going to be this fast. It's going to be really really slow. Um because it's a you know that's the way these NAS drives operate is is they they're they're not really fast when there's tons and tons of little files. Uh, no drive is fast other than an SSD as we talked about at the beginning of the show. Right, so I guess my question to you I, I think I kind of answered it is well, try both. You know, mm-hmm. depending on your needs. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, this actually gets deeper, Dave. So I do both or I do multiple. So, so for example, on my Mac mini, I do both time machine and carbon copy cloner. But when I do carbon copy cloner, I believe I have it set up where I say, just take another snapshot. Don't do any additional work. Don't archive. Don't do anything. Just, just right. 
take whatever is there and blast it out to the external drive. So I have a relatively, and I think I, I set it to run once a week. So I have a relatively fresh copy of the last, you know, stable, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, right. Version of what was on my internal hard drive. Yep. And, and that works for me. So yeah, that, no, that's, that's good. Gotta add. That's good. That's good. Hey, I, I did want to mention, I, I know I said it in the intro to the show, John, but uh, Gazelle, one of our longtime sponsors uh, with the, and I mentioned this last week, but I got, I got the date wrong in that I shouldn't have mentioned it last week. Uh, the iPhone six or whatever it is, is expected uh, soon within the next uh, three to four weeks. The way Gazelle works, you know, you, you, you uh, go online and you uh, tell them what you have and then they, they send you a box and you ship your stuff back and you typically have 30 days to, uh, to do that. Well, uh, with Gazelle this time of year, this year, they are extending that out and you have, uh, until I believe October 9th to, uh, to do this because, uh, they know that we can't yet, they can't yet predict what the, uh, uh, what the what day this iPhone's going to be released? So you get to go to Gazelle. It's actually October tenth. Uh, you get to go to Gazelle dot com. Lock in your pricing right now, and instead of it only being good for thirty days from the day you do it, and trying to have to play bingo that way, uh, anything you do from today forward uh, until October tenth, or actually until September tenth, uh, you get until October tenth. After September tenth, you actually get you know your thirty days. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that starts today, which is Monday, August 18th. Uh, so if you have done it prior, based on our, our mention that you heard last week, go do it again. And that will now reset you and lock you in uh, as it gets closer. And certainly as the new iPhone is announced, a lot of people are going to be pumping their, their things into this system and pricing will fall off. So, uh, so if you're even considering doing it, go do it now uh, at gazelle.com. I just wanted to mention that and uh, apologize to uh, to everybody for for getting that wrong. And I thank listener Kevin for pointing it out to me that uh, it didn't work. So that was good. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. And listener Kevin, you know, uh, he wrote us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And uh, and I, did, I think you I could do you, the same. Did I hear you right, Dave? Yeah, you did. Oh, my gosh. Wait, that's the band. It is. Does that mean we're done? Well, we're going to have to be soon. It's We've been an hour and 19, 18 minutes at this point. So. Yeah, we have. We yeah. have. But um, again, I, I believe I heard you say, Dave, feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekab.com. You're darn right it is. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, and that's where you can send all your stuff. You can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is 43 three five but there's more there is more you know what i want to ask you folks to do today if you own the mac geek gab app we've we've been hearing so many great things from all of you the work that uh that Corey and michael did pulling the the new ui together and the the whole new workflow for the app has been so well received i'm getting emails constantly we're both of us are uh, Mm -hmm. getting emails constantly all of you who love it I would love for you all that have sent us emails or that have the app to go to the app store and write a review of the app. We'd really appreciate it. And if you don't have the app, we'd really appreciate you going buy the app. It's uh, I think it's four bucks. We've got it in the app store. So short money. 
uh, as John said, that's even in the realm that uh, cheapskate like he can uh, can afford, right? And uh, and then write a review of the of the app. Hopefully, you like it. But uh, but go write a review of the app. We'd really really appreciate it. I think we have no reviews of the current version, and uh, and I would love to see that change. I can't write them because uh, that that's how it works. It's got to come from you. So uh, please. Go uh, go write a review of the app. That's that's my that's that's our yeah our call out today. Yeah, a lot of changes. A lot of changes. Yeah, yeah. It's really I, along with that reviews, Dave. You know, yeah. they still help. It still helps grow grow the community, and and it's always worth mentioning. Um, if you go to iTunes under Mac Geek App, if you haven't reviewed us and said what you love, what you like, maybe what you don't like, um, but reviews in. The uh, app store, uh, review, iTunes reviews of the podcast help all of us. It does. It absolutely does. Right. It gets us visibility on, you know, and, you know, it, it still tickles me, Dave. I got to say, after all these years to see us in, uh, in, you know, every now and then we'll pop up on, you know, what's hot in technology and uh, I'll see us on the iTunes <laughs> in iTunes. And, and it's great. It's great for us and it's great for, for uh, our community. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So go right. Now we're, I know we, we've been trying to only ask for one thing each show, but, uh, but it seems today we're asking for two. So two reviews uh, would be fantastic. Please. And uh, I do want to thank Michael Johnston, not only for his work on uh, on the Mac Geek app, which he did a great job with, but also for his work each week taking this show and adding all the chapters and converting it to AAC and all that good stuff for us and for you. Check him out at the uh, iOS show is his podcast and also get Also, Cashfly hosting C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. That is the place that provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. If you need a CDN, please check them out. They're great folks over there. So good. CDN? What's a CDN? Content, content delivery content network. Distribution? Oh, delivery. I see. Barebones.com with BB Edit and Yojimbo. Smile at smilesoftware.com. PDF pen and disc label and all that great text expander. Gazelle, as we mentioned. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Linda.com slash MGG. Drobo, Connected Data. Check them all out. Those are our sponsors right now. We love these folks. John, any lasting comments to share? You started the show. I think so, Dave. Yeah. I I, I think we, I got to say we love our sponsors because one thing that they do is they don't get caught. Made up.